pleased uh, to have with us uh, Maurizio Busolo, who is a lead economist in the uh, chief economist office at the uh, ECA region, uh, the Europe Central Asia uh, part of the, uh, of the World Bank. And uh, they've just released uh, a report, uh, Will China Slow Down Bring Headwinds or Opportunities for Europe uh, and Central Asia? is the title of our presentation, but the report is actually called The Impact of China on Europe uh, and Central Asia. And it's obviously a sign uh, of the time uh, that only the, uh, the World Bank uh, is producing a report uh, on such a topic, but also that this topic is attracting uh, quite a bit of attention. Uh, obviously, uh, China has become a, a major uh, player in the world uh, economy. It is now uh, the largest exporter of goods uh, in the world. Um, it is the third largest importer of goods, but it's also becoming a, a significant importer of services, a bit less of export of services, but definitely a very, very significant player. Uh, as far as the EU is concerned, uh, it's the number one on our import side and uh, number two or three on the, uh, on the export side. Uh, but obviously there's not just EU and, and China, there are many other countries that are partners uh, to both the EU and, and China uh, that are important uh, to both of us, including the countries geographically uh, between uh, China and, uh, and the EU, and hence also all the discussion about the new, uh, the new Silk Road. Um, now, China, as I said, is, a, is an important partner uh, at the global level. It's an important uh, bilateral partner. And there's been, obviously, a reinforcement uh, of the uh, bilateral discussions uh, between the EU and, uh, and China, and there are a number of topics on the table uh, that have long been on the table, but some of those topics that have long been on the table are also on the table today uh, with more uh, burning uh, urgency, including, obviously, the market uh, economy status and uh, the decisions that uh, the European Union will take in the uh, expectation of the December uh, 16 uh, uh, deadline. So uh, I'm very pleased to, uh, to welcome you, uh, Maurizio, to make uh, this, uh, this presentation. I think we all look forward to hear uh, what uh, is the content of the report, which is now available on, uh, on, the, uh, on the banks, on the ECA's uh, website, which I'm afraid I have not had really the chance to look at. I've been uh, very busy. It's also the end of the uh, academic mm -hmm. semester, so I've been uh, teaching, including this, uh, this morning. Uh, but I will try to offer also some comments. But uh, we are also very uh, happy to have uh, with us uh, one uh, of our visiting fellows, uh, Yanwei Shu, uh, who is a professor, an associate professor uh, in uh, business school at uh, university, normal university in, uh, in Beijing. So uh, I think we have um, 
all the firepower that is needed uh, to have a, an excellent uh, discussion, both uh, on your side and uh, from the quality of the people who are attending uh, the meeting, from whom, obviously, uh, we are expecting to have a, a, good, uh, a good discussion. So, Maurizio, I would ask you uh, to speak first, to make the, the presentation, to take, um, I would say, roughly 25, uh, 25 minutes, and then I would invite uh, Jean-Louis to offer comments, and then I will also offer uh, a, few, a few remarks. Please. Okay. Thank, <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for the invitation, for hosting, for hosting the event. Uh, it's a bit intimidating to talk about uh, China with uh, such esteemed uh, colleagues, but uh, I'll, 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 do, I'll do my best. Uh, as, you, as you can see from, uh, from the first slide, there is, a, uh, there is an address uh, of uh, where you can find the report and other, other uh, material around the report. It's, um, I, I understand that the uh, a PDF version of the, of the presentation will be online on, on Bruegel, so uh, don't, don't worry about taking notes about this. Uh, it, will be, it will be available. So uh, let, me, let me start uh, by giving you a, a few takeaways from, uh, from, uh, from the report. Uh, the, the, the first one is that the, uh, the, we, we expect uh, uh, grow to be uh, rather moderate for, for the region. In a moment, I will show you what we mean exactly by, by the region, uh, Europe and Central Asia. Uh, and uh, it's going to be uh, lukewarm uh, growth because of uh, global headwinds uh, are still strong. By that, uh, uh, we are referring mainly to uh, two transitions towards uh, uh, lower commodity prices and potentially higher uh, borrowing costs. These are uh, strong headwinds, especially for uh, commodity exporters, but uh, in general, uh, these are more of a structural nature than a cyclical nature. We expect this uh, to remain so, uh, and we, we call it a, a kind of a, a new normal. Uh, among, uh, among the structural features of the global economy, uh, which we focus uh, quite a bit in the report, there is the adjustments uh, to uh, uh, growth moderation, as they like to call it uh, in, in, uh, in, in the World Bank. We, we can't call it a slowdown. It's, it sounds too, uh, too intimidating. It's just growth moderation. And, uh, uh, and also, uh, among uh, that, uh, there is a rebalancing of, of the economy. I will talk uh, uh, quite a bit about that uh, uh, in, my, in, my, in my talk. And um, one important point is that uh, uh, this is not just uh, bad news. As a lot of uh, uh, analysts, observers uh, uh, tend to say, but it also creates uh, some some opportunities, and I will talk about that. Finally, the the policy challenges are quite complex, both on the west part of the region, uh, Western Europe, uh, and on the east part of the region, uh, which is Central Asia, Russia, uh, and other and other countries. And now, if I have some time, we'll we'll discuss about that as well. Okay, so the. The report, uh, which uh, which uh, is uh, is uh, here in one one hour copy, is basically roughly divided into two parts, uh, and I will my talk also is divided into two parts. One first part where I talk about uh, these the, the context, the macro context, uh, what what we expect uh, 
in the near future, but I will give you just a, a, a few points on that. And then a second part which goes deeper into the adjustment of uh, uh, China and uh, the impact on, on the region. So the region, uh, I don't spend time here on that. It's, uh, it's complicated for us uh, uh, working in the, in the World Bank to come up with all these groups, but to give you, this should give you an idea what, uh, what is the region. So the region is basically uh, Europe uh, uh, 28 uh, plus uh, uh, a bunch of Western, um, plus, uh, sorry, plus uh, the a group of countries that are in Central Asia, plus Russia, Turkey, and, uh, and uh, South uh, Caucasus. So this is, these are the region and the group of regions that uh, I, re I refer to. So uh, let me start with the, with the table with the GDP uh, <coughs> forecast for, uh, for, the, for the region and the subgroup of the regions. So these, um, uh, as you can see, the uh, GDP we, will, will foresee a, a timid growth of uh, 1.6 and 1.9 for the next, uh, uh, for, for this year, 2016 and 2017, uh, with some uh, negative surprise. You have the last, uh, the rightmost two columns are the difference from the October 2015 edition. This report we do every, every six months, more or less. The last one was on October. Uh, and uh, if you can see that the surprises are mostly for the eastern part of the region, uh, and specifically for the oil uh, for the oil exporters. So, if you look at Eastern Europe and Central Asia, it's for this year it's just about uh, a growth of 0.1 percent. Uh, for 2017, will uh, go up a little bit. But even for this year, it would be a negative and recession the uh, group of economy if you exclude Turkey. And so uh, the, uh, these these uh, countries are in uh, in basically in in recession, and there will be some <clears throat> coming back uh, uh, in 2017. But the surprise is the adjustments are on the on the low side. So the the one important thing uh, that you have to consider when. Uh, you look at the situation in the in the region is that GDP doesn't tell the whole story. There is a lot of focus on what happens to output, but actually the adjustments are well beyond output. And uh, in particular, uh, consumption and income uh, and exports uh, are changing much more dramatically than than GDP. Uh, if you if you if you look at the uh, oil exporter. They export uh, oil more or less. On the, they, they export the same quantity. They produce the same quantity, but they now instead of getting 100, 110 dollars a barrel, they're taking less uh, than than that. About 40. I don't know the core the course of of the oil uh, uh, today, but it's about 40 dollars. So it's it's really a, a big terminal trade loss, and that has a large impact on. Uh, uh, incomes and therefore a large impact uh, on on consumption, and um, countries nearby that are not exporting oil 
uh, for example, the Kyrgyz Republic or, or other uh, countries of the stands, there are, uh, they receive a lot of remittances from oil producing countries, are also losing remittances and are suffering uh, the, same, uh, the same losses uh, than, than oil exporting. So the looking at GDP gives you just a partial story. You have to look at the, also at consumption uh, uh, and exports. And uh, uh, to this, this uh, graph in particular shows you the, the, this exact point. The blue bars are uh, GDP growth for uh, last uh, year, for 2015. These are actual numbers. And you can see, just notice a few countries, apart from Ukraine that is in crisis, notice uh, the Russian Federation. The GDP for 2015 is about uh, a contraction, about 3.7%. Uh, but uh, consumption drop up more, more than 10%. Likewise, the Kyrgyz Republic has, has some positive uh, uh, increase in GDP, but almost no uh, movement in consumption. They are 20-25% um, uh, or, or more of their uh, income comes from, of GDP comes from, from any remittances, and these uh, dropped, uh, dropped a lot. So consumption uh, uh, income goes down because of terms of trade losses. This has impact on, on poverty that uh, I don't have time to, to talk about, but this GDP is not the whole story. Uh, let's move to exports and let's move to the West. This is quite interesting. It's a graph for uh, the Western Europe and it shows that um, for the first time in about 10 or more years, the Euro area uh, exports outpaced the uh, global uh, export growth of the euro area outpaced the global export growth. So for 10 years, uh, uh, the EU area, uh, euro area was exporting, uh, growing at a less uh, uh, a pace, slower than the rest of the, the whole world. Finally, now we see this changing. So this is, this is an important sign. Uh, and we, uh, among the structural changes that have been uh, going on in, in Europe, uh, it's important to, to uh, focus on on the competitive that competitiveness that the region has gained in terms of changes of the real exchange rate. And you have in this graph uh, on the horizontal axis the growth of the export volume, and on the vertical axis uh, the change in uh, uh, real effective exchange rate. And you see, uh, unfortunately, the the the, the uh, version of uh, of uh, of, um, of, PD, of uh, the PowerPoint I have is uh, maybe a little more advanced, but uh, where it says, where it says sell range, it would be the name of the countries. And the, the, the countries that are towards the um, uh, southeast corner uh, are European countries where their growth of uh, export is increasing and they are going through a real exchange rate depreciation, so they are gaining competitiveness. And the two, the two on the, on the northeast, no, northwest, uh, are the US and China, which are uh, the real exchange rate is appreciating <coughs> and are exporting a bit, uh, a bit less. So <clears throat> apart, from, apart from the GDP, we have to focus on consumption export, as I said, but also the situation on the, on the labor market is different in the two regions. And the, in particular, we see some silver lining in, uh, in Europe as the unemployment is finally going down uh, uh, as the EU is entering the fourth uh, year of recovery. Uh, but unemployment is coming up, uh, is creeping up on, on the east. 
And there are a bunch of other adjustments that the labor market is going under, uh, which I just summarize here in the changes of the technology, in the sharing economy, the, the, the migration, the globalization, and, uh, and other uh, fundamental changes. So we are working now on a new uh, report, starting to work on a new report that talks about how the social contract may have to change uh, for, for the labor market to, to, to work for everybody. But that's, that's uh, next year when I come and talk about that. So let's focus on the second part now, on the uh, growth moderation and uh, rebalancing uh, of China. The, um, the first thing that uh, uh, we have to consider, uh, as Andre was uh, saying his, uh, in his introduction, is that the, the, the sheer size of China is, uh, is uh, uh, worth of attention. Uh, whatever happens in China, is, uh, is followed by everybody because of, of, its, uh, of its size. Uh, the um, imports of China are about uh, the same as uh, all the BRICS, other BRICS uh, combined plus, plus Turkey. Uh, the uh, investment in China is five times the investment in Japan, is 35% more than the investment in, in the US, uh, is 25% uh, more than the investment in in Europe. So whenever something happens in, in China, people are concerned. And right now, we, we saw that the, the growth rate has, has moderated. And the analysis uh, that you read in the media is this is going to be bad news, because it, it basically means a reduction of demand for, for the rest of the world. However, the, the first thing that we do in the report is analyzing the nature of, of the growth moderation. And um, this is important to identify identify that because, uh, it, it, because it may not mean that a reduction of GDP uh, in China means a reduction of demand for the rest of the world. And this is for two reasons. Uh, the first is that uh, demand in China, domestic demand in China, can outpace uh, the uh, growth of GDP. And that has happened, uh, for example, in uh, during the uh, global financial crisis because of the huge stimulus in China China actually uh, uh, imported more uh, and added to the demand for the rest of the world. So it was a counter-cyclical in that sense. So uh, that's the first reason. But the second, even more important reason is that uh, we believe that the uh, growth moderation comes from <clears throat> a supply side story. So the, 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 the growth moderation goes together with a reduction in demand for imports, but also reduction of exports. And therefore, the uh, trade balance doesn't uh, basically change. So this doesn't subtract to the demand uh, uh, for, the, for, the rest, uh, for the rest of the world. This is, this is, uh, this is quite important uh, to, 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 to notice. And also, <clears throat> uh, to, to analyze such a phenomenon, you, you can't rely on uh, this, this last, uh, last line on, on this slide. You can't rely only on a Keynesian demand side uh, approach whereby there is less demand and, and things go, go wrong, but you have to have a, a kind of tool that looks at uh, how the supply uh, side uh, comes into play. The, uh, I have uh, <clears throat> two uh, quick slides on that uh, uh, goes deeper in this, uh, in this, um, in this point. Uh, th this one shows the uh, reduction of 
or the, the it shows, shows two things: the the GDP uh, growth rate for China, the red line, and uh, the uh, growth of the productive capacity or the growth potential. As you can see, for China, China never went below 7.5 percent, even in the height of the uh, uh, crisis of the Asian crisis in 1980 went to about 7.5 and never. Now it's about 7. And what is interesting is that in the last, uh, in the last uh, moderation, in the last five, six years, this moderation goes hand in hand with uh, a reduction in the production capacity. So the model of having uh, uh, unskilled worker moving into uh, higher uh, productivity uh, activity, the catching up of the productivity is running its course, and the economy is going towards a new equilibrium that is of lower growth potential. Interestingly, notice also that uh, this, this, uh, the, the growth uh, or the closing of the gap of the incomes of China with the EU, this graph, came for a long period of time as the economy was expanding in quantity term, the blue part, so that's, that's uh, for, for a long period of time, China was catching up because it was growing in quantity more. But lately, the catching up comes from price increase, so the, uh, the uh, lighter blue uh, side. So this means that uh, the, uh, there, are, there begins to be uh, scarcity of certain <coughs> A certain resources, space in cities, and stuff like that. So, uh, and the non-tradable uh, are becoming more expensive, and the balassa samuelson effect is is kicking in. And so there is this carry the uh, real appreciation, and so the cost, and so the exports are, are are going down. So this this is all part of of the adjustment in uh, in China. So, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so what we do next is looking at the evolution of the relationship between China and, uh, and, um, uh, and Europe, what has happened in the last uh, 10, 20 years. And then to, we, I finish off with something on the, uh, what this may mean uh, going forward in the future. So, <clears throat> okay. So the, <clears throat> this, this show you, uh, what has, uh, what it, how important China as a source of foreign goods uh, has become for the region. Uh, the blue is the, in about 20 years ago, 96. The red is, is uh, uh, about now, 2014. Uh, and these are the share of uh, Chinese uh, products in total imports of, of the region. So uh, the whole region goes from eight to about uh, 14, so it doubled uh, or, or about. But some, for some countries, it, it, it uh, more than tripled for Central Asia. But notice that the last uh, uh, group of countries, the Western Europe, which seems the smallest one, is actually, since the size of this economy is the biggest, is actually the most important. And uh, uh, most, 98% of imports uh, of Europe and Central Asia are manufactured goods. Uh, and they are mostly imported by, by, by Western Europe. Uh, the, um, so this is on the import side, what, what China uh, has meant as, as a supplier of foreign goods. But on the export side, how important is China as a destination for exports of, of, of the region? 
Interestingly, we have uh, seen that they are not uh, at par with the potential that uh, they have. So, and this is different for, for, for the two parts of the region. But there is some, uh, we find that there is some potential for expanding uh, this. And one uh, chance of doing that is uh, uh, now because of the, of the depreciation. So here, and I don't have time to go through the detail, here we have uh, for, uh, again, subgroup in the, in the, in the region, the, uh, what is the actual exports by different type of goods, and what is the predicted <coughs> export. The predicted export is something that we calculate using a gravity model, which basically tells you what is, how much they can, uh, they can export, given the GDP of the two countries, given the distance, and given a bunch of other variables that control for that. So theoretically, you can see that the east uh, of the region, uh, especially in manufacturing, <coughs> Uh, but also in other, could export more than they actually do, uh, whereas the West, the, they are exporting actually at uh, the level or even more than they, 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 they do. So there is not much potential left, but for the East, there is. And we calculate uh, what would uh, be the increase in this export if... Uh, the countries were really able to take a full advantage of these depreciation. These are the real exchange rate depreciation, and you see all the countries here, and uh, you see that they are fairly large. So for some countries, the, a, a product uh, is worth half the price that it was uh, uh, a year before, and so this is uh, a, an enormous uh, advantage in terms of competitiveness, and this is the impact in terms of, uh, of, of export potential. So this is definitely a, a bit of an overstatement because you have to move resources from non-tradables to tradables to be able to sell <coughs> new products. But the price signal uh, is, uh, is, is uh, conducive to be able to become more competitive and therefore to potentially export more. And these are uh, the effect on, on the export. There is also an effect on the import. The imports are more expensive, and therefore also import competing industries at home could sell their own products. Uh, they are not displaced by ex imports from, from China. So this is part of these uh, opportunities that, that are there. Now, uh, to, to conclude, <clears throat> let me say a few words uh, about uh, the, uh, the, the future. So what, what is... What is uh, uh, insight uh, if, uh, if this, uh, this rebalancing of China and uh, the growth slowdown uh, continues as we, uh, as we uh, believe it, it will. Uh, this slide gives you the first uh, message that uh, the, if obviously the slowdown and the rebalancing come together, but for, uh, for, for unpacking this, we consider them separately. So consider if there is only a slowdown, so there is a productivity uh, decrease in China. China grows down, uh, gr uh, growth a bit slower, and that uh, means is, is mainly bad news for exporters of raw material, which are the East. And mainly good news for the West, because there is less competition 
or from, from China. So uh, European producer can export where before there were Chinese that were conquering uh, uh, markets. The conquering sounds a little bit uh, politically incorrect, but uh, you allow me that. <laughs> so the, the, the rebalancing is a bit, uh, is a bit uh, the, the opposite story because uh, the, 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 the rebalancing means moving up the value chain for China becoming more competitive in skill-intensive uh, production, whereas the East is, can, can export more unskilled uh, production. So this, and they also benefit from foreign direct investment, so this, the rebalancing is more uh, beneficial to, to the East. There is also an effect on, on, on the distribution uh, of income that I'll, I'll, I'll talk briefly. Um, um, so, the, this uh, uh, I'll, I'll skip, and well, this, this just shows you that what is the, what is the uh, importance of China in global trade for these macro, uh, macro um, uh, go commodity goods. So, uh, natural resources, China, the uh, net imports of China are 38% of uh, total trade in natural resources. So it's a huge player. If, if uh, grow goes growth goes down, there is an effect or reduction of demand of this. And, but if growth goes down because of supply side issues, there is also a reduction in supply of uh, uh, manufacturers, which are about 10 uh, or 8% or of global trade in this, in this um, uh, of, of China. So <clears throat> this is the effect of, of the slowdown for, for exports. As I uh, already told you, there is bad news for the East and, uh, and fairly good news uh, for the West. So there is a reduction of exports uh, in general in any, in any production, but especially natural resources, and an increase in exports for the uh, West, especially in manufacturing. Uh, one uh, important story of, uh, of uh, uh, the analysis that we do is that we can also go and see what happens to the factor markets. And because, because China, uh, growth and export model was based mainly on exporting uh, unskilled intensive uh, products. The reduction of exports uh, means that there is now more demand of unskilled labor vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, skilled labor in other countries. And that shows up as a reduction of the wage gap, the red the red, uh, the red bar, but also China has been based uh, because of, of, of uh, uh, high investment rate, the, the, there is also a positive impact on the capital wage uh, um, um, uh, price ratio. And that is what we show here as the wage rental rate. So this is interesting to us because it's a bit of a specular uh, with a different size of the effect that we saw during the 30 years of strong growth of China. Uh, the strong growth of China basically increased uh, inequality in the rest of the world. It was one channel through which inequality has been increasing. The fact that China slows down has potentially uh, uh, an, an equalizing effect in inequality in the rest of, of the world. 
So this is something that we are uh, working on and, and, and want to investigate a bit further. Um, I uh, am running out of time, probably. Uh, am I? Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. So the uh, I have uh, I have one uh, or two slides really on the rebalancing. So I talked about uh, the uh, I talked about the fact that uh, the growth slowdown. I uh, now let's look at what happens if there are more uh, production of skill um, um, uh, workers, skill labor in China. Uh, we, looking just at uh, the education trends, we can easily foresee an entry of about 100 million uh, skilled workers in the market of China alone. So these, these are mind-boggling numbers for, for, for the world economy. And, uh, and this uh, has definitely an, an impact on, on, the, on the wage rate in China, but also uh, around the world, on the export flows. And as I said, this can be good news for producers in Central Asia, which are uh, using more intensively unskilled labor. Uh, they also part of the rebalance is this, this uh, sh shift from foreign direct investment inflows to foreign direct investment outflows that is uh, uh, Brookings just released a study a week ago about this a full 200 pages on on the impact of foreign direct investment of, of China so this this is a well known uh, effect. yes the the what what we what we look here? Uh, forget about the the red bars, which are the the slowdown. Look at the full rebalances. This shows you what is the impact uh, for consumption again uh, of the rebalancing. And uh, what you see is clearly that this is more beneficial for the East than uh, for for the EU and EFTA. So the impact is uh, of of larger of larger sign. Uh, there, um, I'll, I'll leave with this. I'll leave with this uh, with these conclusions that uh, uh, repeat a bit the points that I I, I just made. That we have to look uh, not only at, uh, at GDP, uh, but there are other important uh, changes uh, due to the these big changes in in relative prices. Uh, that um, among among the structural effect. The changes in China are uh, important and they are here to stay with us. Uh, um, on, on the labor market, uh, I said that the, the situation is, is improving, but the labor market is still uh, needs to be uh, studied more, more closely because of, of uh, migration and other, other issues. The policy challenges, I leave it for the discussion. We have some ideas. Uh, this is just one. These are what you see. These effects are uh, potential effects. There is more work to, to, to be done for taking advantage of the opportunities, but they are there, and so the policy can support them. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Maurizio. I will hold my comments until uh, Janwe has, has given his comments. Um, I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the one point that I want to make now, uh, before uh, giving the floor to, to him, um, obviously, I mean, we will we, we need to, to have a discussion about what this means from a, um, from a EU perspective. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, the message is 
I'm, I'm just sort of repeating your message. The message is good news and bad news, uh, in a sense. And uh, I'm just using your vocabulary, good news and, uh, and bad news, and uh, different, for, for, for different regions uh, or sub-regions. Uh, there's huge regions, obviously, between Western, the Western part of the ECA, uh, more good, and um, less good on the other side, and essentially it's an issue of composition of trade, manufacturing versus uh, raw materials. So I, I think that's sort of the, uh, the main message, in a sense, um, in looking at the entire, the entire region that I, uh, that I got from, uh, from, from this. So, so I, I, I don't want to comment, I just wanted to, to repeat what I, uh, what I heard. And let me give you the floor. Jianwei, for your comment from, you know, you're bringing a Chinese perspective onto this. Okay, in the direction of China and uh, Europe, from my perspective. <laughs> okay, uh, let me first uh, summarize uh, what uh, Maju has done for in this very excellent report. Actually, I read the report twice, and I think it's a very, very good report. I look quite a lot of detailed things I have never thought about as a Chinese perspective. So I need to summarize a little bit of the paper. The paper, the article analyzes the impact of China's slowdown on European economy. And uh, I think the article mainly highlights two channels, ex export channel and import competition channel. So export channel is particularly important for Central East Asia European countries because they export to China uh, for energy and uh, those um, very com big, uh, main commodity is, uh, com products to China. And uh, so with China slowdown, their export may be reduced. So it's not a good news for Eastern Asia, uh, European countries. But for Western European countries, since they compete with Chinese firms, so this may be a good news. So this import competition effect is more pronounced for Eastern or Western European economies. And uh, this paper is very, very excellent because it uh, extends this basic analysis to, into three dimensions. In the dimension of international competition from the real exchange rate perspective, because uh, uh, the EU has depreciated against, against uh, China's RMB for last several years. So this has made EU products more competitive in the future. And uh, the, it also touches labor market issues, consider the factor market, how skilled and unskilled laborers may benefit, from, benefit differently from China's slowdown. And it also considers China's potential rebalance policy. So it surprises me that the, the World Bank knows so much about what happened now in China. And uh, so I, what I want to say in this presentation is um, like a supplementary to your report. I totally agree what you have analyzed in the slides. So I want to show something that a little bit, I think it's not missing, just from China's perspective, I think it's also important for European economy. First, I think this one channel, you touched export channel, import competition channel, but there's also one important channel for European economy, that is the import channel. The European countries import from China and what China has provided with to the European economies, cheap commodities and a variety of commodities. 
So if you go to the supermarket in Europe, you can see there are a lot of products produced by China. It's very cheap, and you can move a variety of those products. And uh, I just draw a very simple graph. You see, they are red. This is a simple graph. What I have done is to compare the unit import price of the European countries from the when they trade with the United States and what they had been imported from China, the unit price, you can see that the import unit price is much lower than that the European countries has imported from, from, from the United States. So that means compared with the other trading partners, China is one trading partner that gives the consumer in the EU region a lot of benefits. So same bundle of goods? Um, this is what I, okay, this is technical. This is, um, I try, I know there's the Chinese firms produce different commodities uh, than the, the, the American products, but I choose the same weight for the bundles to aggregate. So I try to make those things comparable. So you can see that China produce much cheaper products to the EU countries. So when Chinese productivity has goes down, what will happen? Maybe the price advantage will no longer exist. Maybe China's products will not be as cheap as before. So this could not be a good thing for the EU economies. And uh, okay, this is the first first thing I want to uh, touch. The second thing is China's uh, real exchange rate. This is considerably important for EU countries' comparative advantage, international competitiveness. And we can see you can, you can see the map, you can see the the graph that the uh, the euro has depreciated against the RMB, China's RMB, for last ten years. So over the last ten years, even if even if China's RMB currency has appreciated against the EU countries. It seems that the EU countries does not gain much benefit from international competitiveness. And if you look at forward, what will happen? China has now, in, um, has now suffering from the high debt issue. According to, uh, I think it's uh, BIS estimates, that China's Debt to GDP has reached, has exceeded 250%. So it's a high. Private debt. So it's a very high number. And what do, that means we have to solve this issue. And according to Chinese government's past experience, the most possible solution is to write off the debt directly and use, use monetary policy to solve the problem. That means the money supply in China will go up. And the impact is China's RMB may get depreciated. Some and is some pressure to depreciate in the future. So I'm not. I'm a little bit afraid that maybe the international competitiveness, even if it's important for this for EU and China, maybe it's not going to be a very very long lasting factor to help EU economies. And another thing that I found that we have long ignored in previous analysis is we. We mainly look at the trade surplus in China, and we believe that if China has trade surplus, the RMB, the China's currency, will appreciate. But this has been, but this conclusion is is based on a very, very strong assumption. That is, when we export, we get foreign currency. We will convert those currencies directly into Chinese yuan, the RMB. Then there's a, there will be a appreciation pressure on. 
on 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 China's RMB. But uh, the fact is that if you look at the China's financial transactions, you will find that for more and more exporters in China, when they have obtained currencies revenues from exporting, they start to they start not to directly convert those currencies into Chinese yuan. They start invest in the foreign con in terms of foreign currencies in foreign countries in EU countries you can see that the Chinese this, this line this third line is the China's transaction uh, the holdings of foreign asset you can see it increases dramatically over the last years it even has um, reached the degree of the the, the level of the F um, the FDI in China so that's become a very important issue. Maybe China, even if we have the trade surplus, we will not convert directly into Chinese. So the impact of trade surplus on exchange rate may also be not long lasting. And finally, labor market. I think this is a very, very important issue in the analysis of Chinese economy and the European economy. Because everybody believe have in their mind that China's product is unskilled product, but I can show you a different graph. This is China's uh, number of China's tertiary graduates, and compared with those uh, high school and uh, middle school graduates, you can see that the number of university graduates in China has increased extremely in since 2003. So that means more and more Chinese people are getting more skilled. And if you look at the second graph, this is what I calculated the skill group by age groups. You can see that for the younger group, the percentage of skilled workers has increased dramatically over the past few years. And you can see what's getting, what's, what's unchanged is the skilled group of the aged people. But in the in the in the coming years, the aged people the aged people will go retired, and uh, f since more and more Chinese younger junior generations has getting higher education, so maybe it's possible that China's products will not be unskilled anymore. It's turning more and more skilled intensive in the future, and even if even if we still look at China's unskilled labors, I think from the European's perspective. Even if there's a slowdown of Chinese economy, will those industries transfer to the EU countries? Probably not, because there are a lot of other countries who is also competing with the EU countries in the sense of the unskilled laborers. For example, the East Asian, other East Asian countries, Southeast Asian countries, they are also competing with China in the unskilled workers. So even if the unskilled industries has slowed down, I think that uh, it may benefit uh, uh, limitedly to the EU countries because you still face competition from a lot of other countries. So I think that in the simulation by the by the simulation you see G model and I know that you, I think that you based your model on the very uh, assumption of the CES assumption of the of the utility function, but the CS function assumes the the substitute elasticity of substitution is the same across countries. But probably, the unskilled industry is never the comparative advantage of the EU countries. So maybe you should consider a different elasticity of substitutions that can apply to different countries. Okay, these are my. Um, my, my, my comments to this on this paper. There are also some technical issues I want to want to touch in this discussion. So that's all. Thank you.
Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I think that was a very, very useful, uh, very useful uh, addition uh, to the to the discussion. Let Let me just add a, a couple of comments uh, from uh, from my side. Um, now, the first one is to do with the um, the time perspective here. Um, I mean, are we, are we talking of uh, of the short term? Are we talking of the uh, of the longer term? Uh, I think that the two are a bit present here. Uh, so there is clearly a short term, uh, much of the much, much of the chart that you showed, Mauricio, was uh, more of the short term. What, what is the, what is the growth uh, prospect? Uh, 2015, uh, last year, currently 2016. Uh, what what is the prospect for for 20 uh, for 2017? I mean, that's very much a short-term perspective. Um, now, in the short-term perspective, uh, you had those uh, interesting uh, that interesting chart. I thought uh, with going back maybe 20 years, but I think I, I was more sort of focused on the, on on the, on the uh, on the recent. Uh, period, which is about the uh, potential output and actual output, and uh, where you are showing that uh, currently, uh, okay, for this year, next year, we, we have uh, growth uh, around 7, 7.5%, and you show that in sort of a 20-year perspective, this is about the lowest point that we have had uh, since, but what is really different this time is that potential output. Uh, is uh, is also uh, is also going. Now I think I mean that raises to to me a whole host uh, of issues. Uh, the first one is obviously as usual in this kind of uh, of discussion is you know how uh, how reliable is the uh, potential output. Um, that's uh, that that's uh, that that's a first uh, that's a first question. Uh, the second question. Uh, is I think when one talks about the short term, and if I put this uh, discussion in sort of a, a context of um, um, the concerns that exist in a number of countries, including the, the discussion they were recently at OECD about the, the steel sector, uh, which you, you, you did not allude to in, in a sense at all, uh, was the issue of uh, the excess capacity. Um, no, obviously, there's, there's, there's a huge... Uh, I mean, what kind of excess capacity are you estimating? Uh, you seem to indicate there that there's not much excess capacity. Uh, that, yes, growth has come down, but at the same time, potential output uh, has been reduced. And therefore, uh, you know, one should... Now, do I believe that? Do I believe that story? Um, and or is that story maybe true for some sectors, not for for others? Uh, so maybe the aggregate story here is hiding uh, the, um, the, uh, the, con the 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 concern. And as far as the EU is con the EU uh, uh, is concerned, is obviously the manufacturing sector. So I mean, your story is. Okay, the, the China is uh, is slowing down in production. Uh, that is bad news for the suppliers of raw materials, uh, whether they are obviously from from the region, and they may be obviously from other parts of the world, including Australia. But let's say whoever supplies raw material in this region here, 
means the East. Uh, this is bad news uh, for those of us who are more directly competing with the, the output, uh, which is in manufacturing, uh, this is a relief. Uh, but so what was missing to me is the, 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 the issue of the excess capacity and what happens there. So uh, maybe it was political correctness uh, on your part, but I don't think that you can not, uh, not address. I think you, you, you need to, to give us your view, not on the political side, but on the economics of it. Uh, how much of an issue uh, is there? Uh, how much of an issue is there, uh, in particular, in the steel sector? Uh, what is the what is the bank saying about uh, the discussion that took place at OECD? And you know, what light can you shed uh, on that? Uh, that's the first uh, issue. Uh, the second issue, which is not entirely uh, unrelated. Um, is the estimate that you produce with the uh, the gravity model? Okay, I didn't see the the details of the gravity model, but okay, we can imagine what there is. Indeed, as you said, there is uh, there is uh, there is GDP, there is uh, there is distance, and then there must be a number of friction uh, variable besides distance uh, of 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 a trade uh, trade friction uh, nature so okay let's not look at the at the model but let's look at the the outcome of the model the outcome of the model um was uh that for some countries those on the on the on the on the east um there was uh, the tr the trade was uh, below uh below what the the predict the actual uh, was below what was predicted while for the for the west and as you said the biggest chunk is is the west because of, of the side it's is the opposite um no again i think one, one one needs to one needs to address that i mean the the numbers there they were not uh, exactly exactly small uh your uh, uh actual versus predicted um, seemed to me from the chart. I mean, maybe you, you put it back. Uh, was was not uh, was not irrelevant. Mm -hmm. um, then, um, I mean, again, I don't want to get into the politics of this. Uh, I mean, or the, or the political economy of this. Um, but I think first, it, it it would be useful to have uh, simply to to remain on, on the economic side, but the purely economic. What is the what is the explanation uh, that you uh, you have uh, for uh, the uh, the well uh, the actual numbers uh, of China's export to the to Western Europe well above the model predicted. Uh, what yeah. what is driving that in 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 the uh, according to your uh, to your thinking? And the last question that I had, that you probably have in the report, but you didn't have a time to uh, to address, was in relationship to investment. Um, I mean, you, you focus more on the trade, uh, but as we know, modern trade is, uh, especially in manufacturing, uh, is very much intertwined with investment, with foreign direct investment. Um, I mean the the, the 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 complementarity. I mean our our sort of views, you know, from the earlier days of foreign direct investment and trade was much more than they were substitute uh, one for the uh, for the other. But I think that was more in a world where um, they were much higher 
uh, trade barriers and then, you know, and that sort of investment tariff jumping and all of those kind of issues. Now, we are not in this kind of world anymore. And we see that it's, it's, quite, the, uh, it's quite the opposite, is that trade and foreign direct investment are extremely complementary. Uh, to one uh, to one another, um, so I, I was a bit wondering what uh, what discussion you have in, in the report about uh, FDI and about FDI in, in both uh, in both uh, in both directions, both from from China to to the region, in particular to the EU, and uh, the uh, the opposite uh, direction. Let me stop here. Maybe you can first address some of those questions, and then we'll open. Yes. Okay. Hi. Right. Okay. Good. Uh, <clears throat> well, thank you for the for the for the excellent uh, comments uh, to 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 both of you. I uh, I'm not sure I can address them fully. Uh, I'll do I'll do my best. <clears throat> uh, okay. Let me start. Uh, let me start with the with one of your first points that I uh, share completely. That uh, the <clears throat> the uh, one big effect uh, that we don't discuss at all is the benefit of uh, cheaper imports from China to the consumers uh, in in uh, in uh, importing countries, and that's um, that's actually a bunch of uh, there are actually a bunch of papers that I considered when we were starting this uh, this work that have have uh, have uh, look at, at this exact issue, and they actually provide estimations of the benefit to the income distribution in the US where most of the focus is actually on the uh, work displacement and, and wage compression at the lower end of the distribution because of competition from China. But the, uh, the, the, these papers starts from the point of view of the uh, poorer people tend to consume much more uh, uh, tradable goods than non-tradable. The consumption bundle of uh, richer people is basically real estate and non-tradable goods and services that uh, are uh, are not imported from from China mostly. So they they don't benefit from the cheap uh, imports, but a lot of uh, of worker benefit from this. And the CPI in the U.S. Uh, I, I, there are more studies in the U.S. than than Europe. Uh, uh, if you if you are careful enough, shows a big reduction. So this is a missing point, but we are aware of that. We don't discuss that. However, let me uh, uh, let me just again, uh, uh, um, April twenty six, I think, or April sixteen. I don't remember exactly. Two thousand and sixteen. David Author and uh, and a bunch of other from Harvard. They just released a paper on uh, trade exposure of the U.S. state and sub-state to China and the polarization that in these, uh, in these, uh, in these states uh, of the voting. So where uh, states in the U.S. are more exposed to competition from the U.S., they tend to vote. The effect is that they tend to vote for either the Trump uh, Sahida, the Republican, or the Bernie Sanders on the on the Democrats. So they tend to extreme uh, part of the spectrum and for extreme policies of no more trade. Yeah. So uh, the judge is still out uh, there. What 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 is what that means? But I agree. This is an important an important point. Um, 
on the pressure of the uh, on the waning pressure on the real exchange rate uh, uh, appreciation of of, uh, of uh, China's Chinese currency, I, I I agree with you. Those are important important uh, financial channels that you highlight, uh, uh, but I I still think that if if we put on the table other um, other issues such as the the yuan is not considered yet, but it's it probably will be. Uh, an, an important international currency. So even if the Chinese uh, hold all these reserves on non-Chinese currency and they want to convert them or, or whatever, they, there will be demand for Chinese currency from the rest of the world. It will become uh, an, important, uh, an important currency uh, with the euro and, and, and the US and so the US dollar. So this may also counterbalance a little bit that. But, um, and and the, other, the other important uh, more long-term uh, story that uh, going moving towards your your point is that again if you if you look at the at the at the, at the economy uh, Chinese economy growing uh, the it's almost inevitable that the the uh, the gain in productivity of the tradable sectors are strong at the beginning and they they will will catch up quickly with the with the frontier but the uh, there is less productivity gain to be had in the non-tradables and that produces and there is at the same time more demand for non-tradable as the incomes go up uh, the population income goes up there is more demand for trade at this translate into a real exchange rate uh, appreciation from from the real side more than from the financial side so that's that's a strong a strong force uh, again so on the um, um, <clears throat> Uh, maybe we can have a bilateral on the CES uh, sure. and on the other technical yeah. issues because uh, uh, they are important, but they may be too much, uh, too much uh, uh, jargon uh, for this audience. Maybe so. The um, uh, you 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 mentioned the uh, you mentioned uh, three things: the uh, uh, the short term, long term excess capacity, the gravity model, and the investment, uh, etc. So the, on. The, on the, uh, maybe I, my, my uh, uh, fault, I wasn't clear enough. The report is actually divided in two parts. One that is a really more short-term outlook, uh, macroeconomic uh, 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 view, and that is definitely uh, short-term. But the, w the adjustments and uh, the, uh, the forces of the growth moderation and the rebalancing, we are thinking of uh, uh, Probably ten years in the future, or, or fifteen or twenty. The, the 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 difficulty there is that there are so many transformations of the global economy that uh, um, to to completely do justice, I would have to talk much longer about uh, the transformation. There is also India uh, that is an important player in the global. So there is a lot of things going on there, uh, but it definitely it's important that uh, we are also focusing on 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 the long term. I. Have, um, I have I have uh, to uh, agree on the issue of uh, the excess capacity. We don't deal with it here. Uh, we we probably should, uh, but uh, will uh, I my uh, 
uh, way out of your question is that it's, uh, as you put it, probably it is uh, more relevant at the sectoral level. If you do look at uh, specific sectors, then uh, at, uh, at more aggregate and economy-wide level. But um, I know it's, it's, not, it's not very convincing answer. I didn't exactly say that. Uh, uh, I said that they certainly they're big sectoral factors. I didn't say that the, the sectors are irrelevant from a macro viewpoint. No, that sure. I did not okay. <laughs> and I don't know that I believe that. Okay. Uh, uh, good. So we can, have, we can have a debate on that. But the, the, um, on the... Um, uh, okay, on the gravity model, um, well, I'll, um, we use uh, we use uh, we use a fairly standard uh, uh, specification, uh, which uh, is based on data for the 20 or so years uh, for 200 and so countries. Uh, the uh, we have uh, we have used. Uh, the, uh, an estimation that takes into account of the many zeros because you have a lot of uh, trade flows in certain sectors that are zeros, and so all of that is uh, is taken is taken you know, my, my into account. My question was not a methodological why, question. Why, what, why, my question: What is why, what is your explanation for the? the uh, uh, we the, the explanation that is as I don't have an explanation. It's just is data driven this exercise so we have what what we observe is that by taking it by taking into account the variables that we control for uh, including fixed effect time and, and country the residual for these for these countries is is negative and uh, and so it's unexplained by the model so that's uh, that's uh, we need we would need to investigate add variables to the model to, to figure out what is the explanation behind uh, why is it? But it's 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 definitely surprising, both on the positive side and on the negative side. And we have received comments that are you sure that your predicted is 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 really should be considered as a predicted because you may miss uh, some 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 important issues. There can be there can be uh, a, a historical link. There can be things that are are are, are not uh, picked up by by the model, which which. Carry me to the uh, <clears throat> to your uh, 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 to your final point, uh, which is on the on the on the investment. Again, the 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 w with the, with with a few colleagues, we are working on a on a, a more detailed report on the uh, project of the Silk Road. And uh, the uh, indeed the the, the this uh, change of uh, of the uh, trade relation and the investment relation is important, and our model is is fairly standard and simple and doesn't take into account of that. There are uh, extreme view on this. One is that uh, basically the uh, additional investment in infrastructure or or sectors uh, will not benefit, will not bring any potential benefit to the receiving countries. There will be just roads. The uh, uh, merchandise will go from China to Europe, uh, and there will not be beneficial effect for, for uh, uh, the central, the countries mm -hmm. in the middle. And there is uh, the opposite view that, no, in fact, uh, there will be uh, synergies, there will be external economies, etc. So we have uh, we have no view in this in You this don't report. address it. In we the, don't address it in this report, okay. but we have okay. we are working on another report that look Fair into this, uh, this in detail Fair thank enough. you thank you
Um, so we can expect a follow-up. Uh, yes. Sure. Okay, so let me uh, open the floor for discussion. I, I would ask you to uh, state uh, your name and institution so that our speaker who may not uh, know you uh, will. Fraser. Yes. Um, Fraser Cameron from the EU Asia Centre. Maurizio, just one um, basic question about Chinese statistics, because there's some controversy about the validity of them, so I wonder if you could just make a comment on that. And I was, you, you, picked, you made a statement, I think, when you said there was 25 times more Chinese investment than the United States, something like that? No, 25 percent. 25 percent. So, so Chinese, the investment uh, or, uh, in China, yeah. the domestic investment, I, in China is 25 percent higher than the investment in the EU and 35 percent in uh, US okay. and five times the Japanese. And my question was about yes. the quality of that investment. You know, what sectors is it going into? Okay. Sylvain? University, Sylvain Plaskart, University of Leuven. Well, thank you for this report, which is, my view, is very, very much really macro in the sense that uh, China has become so differentiated in, let's say, quite modern group and another one which is more traditional. My question is first about uh, exports. After all, and I think things have not changed that much, exports in China to quite an extent are, uh, how should I say, mediated by foreign investors. And André uh, uh, mentioned that also, in a way, you know. Uh, although, of course, among foreign investors, then we also have to, to, to think about uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan that are considered to be foreign in the by the Chinese and also in the statistics, but that's one point. And second, the exports no longer exist only, but you also said it in fact, not only of shoes and textiles, but also now, if you look at the statistics, recent one, then you see that ICT products, for instance, are very, very important, and more important than, say, than those that are exported from Europe to China. That's one point. And I had in, Chairman, I had in mind really to put a question on uh, the presently highly topical uh, uh, question or issue about steel production. The steel production, if you look at the figures, the official figures, it's impressive, really. Uh, may I ask, especially to Mr. Yu, what he thinks about it? What is the explanation? I do have one, but I may be wrong. I'm not the expert as you are. Uh, namely, it has not to do with what is sometimes said in a lot of, uh, well, <laughs> Uh, writings here, also in Europe, you know, especially from a protectionist side, and they are very, very, very powerful and vocal anyhow, you know, saying that this may have to do with a sort of conspiracy of China in order to kill the, uh, the world uh, uh, steel sector. This is nonsense, of course. My explanation would be, but is it a good one? I ask you and also the other speakers. Uh, it has it to do with the fact that although in China now, so-called central planning no longer exists really. Central planning, it's no longer directive, it's rather, let's say, how do you call it, I mean, indicative, okay. So that uh, the various uh, local authorities, and local in China means also province, eh? that they want to have as much production in steel as possible, and hence you have, of course, globally speaking, tremendous overproduction, such that the European Union 
and the United States are almost forced to take some measures about it. Am okay. I right okay. on okay. that? Okay. Am I right in Thanks. this explanation? Yeah. Thanks, Silva. Madame Pernod. Well, I am just now in the middle of negotiations for very high-end investments in high technologies from China companies in Europe. And for what I know, the manufacturing is knowing that it is dying. And the first step is, of course, investing outside, overseas, on high-end technologies to heighten the China production, but it will take time. And the other thing is about Central Asia. To my knowledge, I would allow myself to speak of politics. Uh, when you want to invest in Central Asia, or even through Afghanistan or Pakistan or whatever, we all know it's a very bumpy landscape. So, of course, I don't see how they are really winning to invest re actually in the country. They just invest in infrastructures. I think the, the second step will be to find a way to give security to infrastructures on their shares. And only the third step would be to invest deeply in the country. That's my calendar. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions? So, Jolt. Yeah. Um, I, I would have two questions. One is about potential output. I mean, Andre already mentioned in, in his remarks that that certainly a lot depends on, on, on how you measure it. And, and indeed, I would like to ask you just to say a few words on, on how you measure it. Uh, and one important reason for that is that potential output estimates have been extremely unreliable recent years for, for many, many countries. Uh, I think the IMF doesn't even calculate it, it for China, so, so I, I wonder how we do that. And it, I can imagine it can be extremely difficult for China, given the major structural and sectoral changes within the economy. Mm -hmm. So if you so, show that you know, potential output growth is relatively smooth, whether this is just you know, an artifact or, or, or there is something more uh, substantial behind. And the second is, is related to the gravity model. Um, I'm a bit concerned, I, I have to say, because you know China is very big. It's also rather far from many, many other countries, and uh, and certainly the gravity model, I mean, which includes you know all bilateral trade flows between between potentially all countries or or most countries of the world, it's mostly identified from from many smaller countries as the number of big countries by definition is, is very small. So this should mean that the prediction error or the estimation error for larger countries like China or the US should, should be much, much larger. And I just wonder whether the, you know, the, the gap between the actual and the predicted, how does that relate to the, to the estimation error? So whether this is statistically significant or just within the estimation error range. Thank you. take those, uh, and I will ask also afterwards, uh, Jan Wick to uh, sure. take. Sure. Th thank you. Uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, so the uh, um, ch Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese statistics, uh, maybe you can respond that better than I can do. When you ask, when you ask a, 
the quality you mean in which sectors is invested or what what exactly i'm not sure exactly what you what is that you are concerned about the quality of uh, uh, the quality of the of the of the level or the quality in terms of where they invest uh, and so I, I i don't know how to address that but If you look at where American growth is coming from, you know, the Googles and the Apples of this world, is there anything comparable like that in China, basically? Okay. Uh, well, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't look into the details of that, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it's our, our look is much more macro than, than, than looking at the, at the uh, sectors or the type of investment that they do. But as the other questions uh, have... Uh, have uh, pointed out certainly there is there is a big shift coming though in in overall the investment at home uh, is is decreasing uh, it cannot be it, it's it's just create this excess capacity that uh, the the economy doesn't need that much investment if it grows at the, at the lower level so it creates creates all sorts of of, of macro problem and uh, the shift is towards investing uh, outside and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll address that in a second. So in the in terms of the <clears throat> um, change in the character of uh, of the experts, these are all these are all very good uh, very good questions, but they are more based on China perspective. So as if uh, we were sitting into China and looking at uh, what has what is uh, what is happening and how how the Chinese are the economy is evolving but we are looking more as a recipient there is I work in the regional chief economists for the Europe and Central Asia and I have to interact with the chief economists in uh, China that tells me what is the, the official opinion so uh, next time I bring <laughs> I bring him along but I, I I agree this is these are valid points the uh, the the exports uh, flows are changing uh, continuously. The the type of experts are, as you were pointing out, uh, uh, even even now talking about uh, the experts as being just unskilled, intensive is is a bit of a stretch because uh, the 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 increase in in graduate uh, tertiary graduate is is so high and it will it will increase. So I don't I I, I agree. It's uh, is 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 just is just. Uh, the, 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 is just changing, and and there is a whole story about how do we, how do we account for, uh, for uh, for certain exports because the iPads, uh, iPod, uh, iPhones are all. Uh, uh, um, Technically made in California, but then they are uh, physically assembled in, in in China, and so how you account for that is is, is rather complicated. The uh, <clears throat> the investment uh, again, the investment of Chinese in uh, in Europe is uh, is 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 growing as well as in the. the the, basically, the, the character of accumulating bonds in the U.S. Uh, uh, is 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 no more the the modus operandi. Operandum. The the there are there are research on just on just specifically on that. But the again the the size are very very large, and the interest of of Chinese to be involved in in acquiring know-how and jointly working with the, with the uh, high tech and, and, and high 
productive sectors around the world is, is important and there is more to, to be done and to work on that. With, the, with respect to the Central Asia, we have the problems that the private sector has in investing in, in Central Asia, the World Bank has in uh, processing uh, lending for, for these countries. It's, uh, we, are, uh, uh, we are working on uh, on the 15th of June, uh, if any of you is in Washington, uh, is actually I cannot really invite you, but it's, uh, it is a, a closed-door uh, seminar on governance issues. So there are, there are enormous state capture. Uh, I don't know if this is recorded, but uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a complex issue, the governance issue, and, um, and, um, and we are aware of that, and, and I, I, I sympathize uh, on, on the difficulties of, of the private sector investing there. On the last two points, on production uh, potential output, uh, it is, um, and on the, on the gravity model. Look, I, uh, this is, we, we are not uh, contributing with this report on methodological ground, so we try to use the best, uh, the best methods. We, uh, they are not, uh, they are uh, best practice, but they are not at the, uh, at the frontier. We don't wanna improve on, on the methods. The production, uh, we, we estimate the potential output of using the production functions with the with a permanent uh, inventory for, for the capital stock and the uh, statistics on, on labor by, by different skill level. And the productivity uh, is a detrended uh, filter of the productivity. So it's a, it's a standard production function. But, and I agree with you on, on, on the issue of many small countries and uh, few big countries that may affect the, the, the gravity model estimations, and I'll, I'll look into that. Thank you for the suggestion. But even if you, even if you don't totally believe in the, in the uh, uh, methodological uh, prowess of, of, of these approaches, the story that they tell you are fairly consistent with the, with the, with the evolution. So uh, I, if you look at the growth uh, uh, model of, of China, it has evolved from being uh, based on a Lewis kind of model of abundant uh, labor in a low productivity sector moving into a, a more productive sector. And that model is, is, uh, is taking its course. Likewise, productivity catch up, uh, it can go up to a point. Like, likewise, the pressure on the non-tradable uh, uh, um, uh, sector and productivity uh, gains there is, is limited. So even if, you, even if the actual number of the potential outputs are not completely correct, uh, we are confident that these, these uh, uh, lower growth uh, in the future, the growth moderation is something that uh, is sensible and will, will probably continue. And we have worked with the Chinese government on this and also they, uh, they foresee growth in the long run to be to five and, and, and even lower. Uh, so um, so that's, uh, that's, I think I covered. You maybe want okay. to say something? Okay, I have one minute. Okay, I, I just a uh, simple reply to the question. Um, yeah, just uh, 
In the case of China, we have experienced dramatic growth over the past years, and the government has involved them itself in nearly every aspect of the production. And、uh, you know, in terms of some industries, we have the excessive capacities,、uh, capacities, especially in the steel industries. That's the the problem lies in the government. Of course, everybody knows that because、uh, just like the. The new Silk Road Initiative, the Build and Road Initiative, the government, Chinese government, always do things in this way. That if you think it's important to invest, if you give preference, preferential taxation and any other benefits for you to invest, and that may makes、uh, may urge industry investors to swarm into that industries and cause excessive capacities. And the only way we know that is.、Uh, This can be good or can be can be wrong. In you know, I I know the evaluation, the complete evaluation of the whole policy is a long story. But maybe exit from this,、uh, to in some degree, to exit from the from those、uh, from those big project is a very important thing for the Chinese government to do. But、uh, given the current system, given some current institution, Chinese government, I think that、uh, it's still a very strong government. It's a、uh, I think it's a big issue in this,、uh, um, you know, in China's development. I'm not an expert in the government governance,、uh, you know, the governance issues. But、uh, okay, I think that I can talk to you more if later, you know, after the conference. It's a big, big issue. Statistics, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Statistics.、Um, sorry, I, I. You know the investor in this industry FDI. I cannot remember. I can if you need. I can show you the statistics later. I send you email on the, on the invest on the, on the quality of statistics. Okay, okay. That's a tough question. I know it's not a good quality, but、um, personally, I think that because,、uh, you know, I I have many many classmates who is not working in the Bureau of Statistics in China and.、Uh, Based on my impression of them, you know they are very excellent. Although they may get some pressure from some sources to, you know, to to make the statistics. Sometimes, you know, it's not the China specific issue because I was in a friend is working in Germany for statistics department. It's a global issue for every country. The problem is that this is the only thing that we can use, and I think that even if it's not the best, it's improving in quality, and it's the only one that we can use. Okay. Okay. Let's. Let's.、No uh, let's, um, <laughs> let's. Let's. I. I.、Uh, I suggest that we stop the discussion here. The multilateral discussion. You can continue bilaterally.、Um, let me. Let me first thank、uh, both. Uh, both of speakers,、uh, for both a very, very interesting,、uh, very interesting presentation. I think you certainly have,、uh, have given us. Uh, the wish to to read the report now, and、uh, I think that's really what we should、uh, we should do.、Uh, get into dig into the in, get into the, the the report. Be grateful for for having done this report, and、um, I think as、uh, Janway just said it, I think in、uh, in simple but、uh, very accurate word, those are big issues. And I think we can be sure that those are indeed、uh, very, very big issues with many, many dimensions, and、uh, we are sure to continue this conversation、uh, over the year. And、uh, you know, we、we'll, we look forward to、uh, to continue this 
and uh, to see how those big questions uh, develop. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.